everyone. Welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims, and today we're joined by a young man who was a captain of the Milwaukee Admirals, a Calder Cup champion with the Milwaukee Admirals, and went on to become a really solid defenseman in the NHL and one of the best shot blockers that the NHL had uh, in his career in the National Hockey League. He's uh, former Admiral Greg Zanin. Greg, thanks for the time. How's everything going? Everything's going good. Thanks for having me on. We really appreciate it. It's uh, we were talking before we started to record about what you're doing now and and how messed up this summer has been for everybody. But we don't necessarily need to get into that. But why don't you get into a little bit about what you're doing now before we reminisce about your time in Milwaukee? Uh, well, now I actually coach high school hockey here in uh, Stillwater, Minnesota. So it's well, I'm going into my second year, hopefully, anyways, as bearing any shutdowns. But uh, you know, just been trying to do a lot of coaching. Never thought I was going to get uh, into this realm, but uh, having young kids playing, you know, youth hockey, I kind of got in that way and just always being at the rink with them and helping out their teams. And then just was asked a couple of years ago to come out and help the high school team, which ended up turning into an assistant coach job, which then our coach stepped down and turned into a, a full-time head coach job. So, uh you know, enjoying it so far. It's been a lot of fun. This summer's been a little crazy, but, uh, you know, we're always finding ways around to, to get out on the rink. So, Interesting to me, Z, that you say that you never saw yourself as a coach, where if you had said to me, okay, give me 10 players from my time in Milwaukee who you thought would be good coaches, your name would have been in that list for sure. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I have, I've heard that so many times, even from other coaches, oh, you're going to be a great coach. And always when I was playing, I'm like, I don't want to do your guys' job. Like you guys are crazy. You're always on the computer and there's just too much crap going on that you guys, you know, you're just seems like you're always frazzled. And, uh, you know, it kind of, I kind of grew into the position when I retired, it was kind of stepped away from hockey for just, you know, about a year or so where I was just dad and hung out on the sidelines and stood in the corner like my dad did when I was a kid. And then it kind of grew into, you know, the kids wanted me to come out, so I would go out with them, which I kind of enjoyed helping the kids get to where they are. And the high school level is kind of an interesting level because you got the kids that really want to, you know, get to the next level and get a scholarship and play juniors. And then you have the kids that are good enough to play but just want to play because they, they enjoy hockey. So uh, you kind of get the uh, an even balance of just being able to be coach and then being able to be a good leader and, uh, you know, a mentor for some of these kids that want to move on and play hockey as a career. Are you able to, or back then, were you able to, and now that you go see your kids too, uh, be able to stand aside and just be dad or, I mean, you played three years in Minnesota, 500 games in the NHL, but three years, you know, 25 miles west of, not even, 15 miles west of where you're living now. So, I mean, it's not as if people, I don't think, I got to imagine you're recognized and everybody knows who you are. Are you, are you bombarded by what can my kid do better th those type of things when you're trying to just be dad and watch everything? Uh, you know, the people have been really good around here. I think, I think Minnesota being a hockey state as they are, I think they, you know, they recognize who you are, but they also realize that you have a life beyond the rink and they kind of give you your personal space. I mean, you always get those, not so much of what can my kid do more of, you know, how was it to play in the NHL? What was your favorite place to play? And things like that. But uh, people around here, especially out here in Stillwater, they're really respectful of just, you know, they let you kind of do your thing. I was, the, you know, the dad in the corner and 
the biggest things were, hey, come out on the ice and help us. Come out on the ice and help us. And for a while there, I was just like, look, I just let me be dad. Just let me watch. I just want to watch my kids. And right. they were really good with that. And then, you know, I finally got sucked in. And it was more, like I said before, my kids asking me to come out than anybody else asking me to come out. So I did it for my kids. And then it's just kind of grown into a spot where I am now. Where was your favorite place to play? Oh, geez. I mean, we, I, I always will look back at Milwaukee as, the, you know, the starting point and how much fun we had there with the guys that we were with. And uh, it was a blast. But, I mean, Nashville, when I finally made it to Nashville, especially with all the guys that we were with in Milwaukee, we kind of made that jump within one or two years of each other. I mean, Nashville was just a great place to play. Uh, you know, the, the fans there were great and everybody was just – it was different there because they were always so excited and you know everywhere i played i didn't i don't think i ever played in a bad city um but you know nashville just has that special place in my heart sure you as a, i'm curious and i hate to keep going back to your coaching but when you during your playing years you played for some really good coaches claude noel uh todd richards up in uh, i don't think uh, todd was an assistant here and then you had him as a head coach uh barry trotts uh, so, like, do you pattern? Do you? I'm sure you take little bits from every guy, but is there a guy who you really sort of have looked up to? Uh, you know, those, especially those three that you mentioned. I, I just try to really model myself, uh, kind of on. I mean, they all had their own. You know, Claude knew exactly how to handle everybody. Whether you were a veteran, where whether you, you know, he was a lot harder on us rookies when my first year there than he was the vets. But then when we became a vet, we saw, we, we realized why he was like that. Todd, he was just great. He was just a, a great teacher. You know, he was able to teach you anything. He was, he had a calm personality and he just made it easy to talk to, which I think, you know, you need those kind of guys in an organization, especially he had such a good rapport with, with Claude. Claude was kind of that hard, you know, he was hard on us and you could always go to Moose and just be like, Moose, why is he being such a, you know, why is he so hard on me? And then he would let you know, and, you know, you always felt better about yourself. And then, I mean, Barry was just, Trotsy was great at knowing everything about every, he was your prototypical player's coach. He knew every little tidbit about your personal life, your life at the rink. And he, he just truly cared with what was going on. So it made it really easy for, you know, guys to play for him. And that's why I think he's done so well over his time. I mean, the Islanders are playing outstanding right now. And, it, you know, it's a big part of the way he coaches and cares about his guys, I think. And I just try to pull a little bit from everybody, but at the same time being myself and, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit hard, but I've taken those easy, you know, I got to calm down and look back at some of the coaches that I have that, you know, and the way they've handled situations. And I think it's really helped me so far. We've talked so much uh, when, when we talk about you with other players and, and uh, what your impact was on their career and on the team when, when you guys were teammates, whoever it may be, um, it can't go without saying how vocal you were. And when, <laughs> when did that start for you? And as an aside, are you that vocal on the bench now as a high school coach? Uh, well, as Yes, and probably I, I probably need to tone that down a little bit on the high school bench because the ref <laughs> I'm already starting to get a bad rap with the refs in the league and I've only been in it for one year, but vocalness uh, <laughs> has been, I, that's just who I am. I mean, I got my, one of my best friends back in Vancouver, 
uh, we used to play baseball together and we were on opposite teams when we were 12 and 13 years old. And he always, I hated your guts. You were so loud and blah, blah, blah. And my mom hated you. And then we <laughs> played on an all-star team when we were 14 and we became really good friends. Now he's what my best buddy back home. And we always talk about that. He's like, God, I hated you so much back when we were younger, but you know, it's, it's like anybody you look at, I played with Brad Marsha and he gets a rap for being just a rat and everybody doesn't like Marshy, but you know, when you're on his team, he, he's a great guy and you, you know, you love him to death and he's out there doing his job that makes him successful. So me, it was being vocal and I like to talk through the games because it made games easier for me to know where everybody was and what everybody's responsibilities were. And, uh, you know, I try to install that in my guys here to, you know, let's talk it out. If you're talking, then you know what everybody's doing and it makes things easier. And they haven't quite got it yet. I think teenage kids nowadays are too shy to talk. Most of them, They're, they'd rather be something across the ice. But, uh, you know, hopefully we get there one day. You know, uh, it's not just college kids. It's our players now, too. Like, I'll call a guy and, uh, and they won't answer the phone. I'll text him and I get a response, you know, 10 seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's just a statement uh, from a 42-year-old uh, old, old, old man here. What I think is really remarkable about, remarkable about your, at least time in Milwaukee, that we just don't uh, see or appreciate is that in 03-04, you're a rookie and a sometimes healthy scratch. And two years later, you're captain of the team, not just a regular player, but you're, you're the leader. You're the guy. Uh, talk a little bit about that journey, uh, how you went from, you know, like we said, a healthy scratch, but very obviously you had an impact on the, on the team to being the captain a couple years later. Uh, you know, that whole transformation I think is really due to Claude and, uh, and Moose there. Uh, the games that I was sitting out, it was earlier in the season. And when I came to Milwaukee from college, I was your prototypical offensive defenseman. I was used to running power plays and I was, you know, the point guy and, all that kind of thing. And, you know, in and out of the lineup, I finally went in and asked them like, you know, what do I got to do to stay, you know, a regular in the lineup? And we had a conversation of, well, I'm, you're going to have to learn how to play good solid defense because we have guys that are going to play the power play. And I needed to find my niche in there to, to stay in the lineup. And Todd and Claude took the time, you know, before after practices to work with me on positioning in the D zone and, you know, certain ways to play in front of the net and, they really took the time to give me the opportunity to kind of evolve into what actually I got to make the NHL with was being, you know, a defensive shutdown shot blocking defenseman that, you know, was hard to play against. And I think just, you know, with them seeing the fact that I was open to change who I was as a player, you know, leads into a leadership role of, you know, just being able to be able to communicate with the guys I mean, I was a team first guy my whole life. I mean, I would have done anything to, to try to win, whether it was block a shot with my face or, you know, if I have to sit out to let somebody else play, you know, those are the ups and downs that you go through uh, in the journey of winning. And, you know, I, I really give Claude and Todd just the, res the utmost respect for taking the time to, you know, mold me into what got me to have a pretty good career along the way. You know, that rookie year of yours, uh, you mentioned that, they got guys to play the power play. You played with, I look at that team and the veteran group on that team, um, Wade Flaherty, Tony Herkus, 
uh, Curtis Murphy, Brad Tiley, Ray Schultz. I mean, they, Curtis Murphy may be the winning top five is, offensive defenseman in the history of the American Hockey League. And, that's and an a guy who won three. everywhere. Everywhere he went, he was yep. a winner. Yeah, I mean, that, it, just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, that's about the time when you say trying to get in the lineup, that's about the time where the rules changed. So the blocking of the shots, not that they didn't happen before, but they were really accentuated at about that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that first year, I mean, I can look back to, I, I don't know my exact stats right away, but uh, when I was in and out of the lineup, I think I was sitting in the, the low minuses on, you know, the, the chart there as far as plus minus. And once I kind of molded myself into what I ended up being, I ended up playing with Curtis, which was always great because it was easy for me, block the shot, get the puck, give it to him. He's going to do the rest. It made it easy on me, but finishing that season, I think I ended up finishing the season plus 35 by the end of the year after being in the minuses. So, I mean, obviously we had guys that could do the job. I mean, that team was like you say, the veteran presence that we had on that team. We had Wyatt Smith as well. And, you know, yeah, we I didn't that, mention Darsh. Yeah. Hadar, Darshi, uh, Andrew Hutchinson. And, like we had guy Andrew Hutchinson. I mean, we had guys and I played against Hutchie, uh, when he was at Michigan State while I was at Omaha. Sure. So I knew him, like, not personally, but we knew of each other playing. And, I mean, the, you just look back at that team and it was, you know, if we didn't win it, there was going to be – there was a problem type of thing, you know, and it all came together at the right time. I think of, uh, you know, what we've been doing this – Aaron and I have done a lot of these podcasts and in the, in we've interviewed a lot of guys from this team and – uh, one of the memories I have is not necessarily a big goal that was scored, but it was in the first round in game six against Cincinnati. We were down 3-1. We won game five to make it 3-2. And uh, we go down, though, a five-on-three, and somebody loses their stick against Cincinnati. So, And I don't know what the score is at the time, but it's close. It might be tied. It might be 0-0, actually. And I honestly thought to myself when this happened, I was like, well, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. Like I had sort of started to tell myself like, well, you know, we had this great team, but it's not going to work. And I'm, I know you were out on the ice for that penalty kill. Do you remember that? Uh, do you remember, were you the guy who lost his stick? Uh, but that really, I thought that was a big turning point in the whole, in the series, in the season and uh, on our way to the cup. Uh, I don't remember exactly. I, I remember, obviously, the games, but certain, losing my stick or whether I was out there or not. I mean, I would like to hope at that I'm point. I'm sure you were out there, but yeah. I, I would hope I was out there. I mean, that was kind of what I molded myself into. And it probably was me and, if I would have to guess, it would probably be me and Schultz out there or me and Tiles killing the penalty. Um, but, you know, those are – turning points and that's when you see teams win series you know that's when guys come together you know those big moments and uh i wish my memory was better <laughs> than it is now <laughs> too many down the line to remember all the tidbits but that was a huge series for us i mean not that any series that was probably our toughest series on that whole run i mean we we took seven games and then you know we went six games and we went five and then ended up winning it in four I mean, that was by far, they pushed us to the brink of elimination and, you know, able to come through that is what made us such a good team. You know, rumor, rumor has it that after game six, before game seven, 
that uh, the goalie was for uh, for Cincinnati was Ilya Brzgalov, and that he had said to a couple of guys before the game, "Season ends tonight, guys. Where this this is it." And we cruised in that game. So I don't remember what the score was in Game Seven, but it wasn't it wasn't close. And like you said, the rest of the way was, you know, you know it's not smooth sailing, but that you're right. It was our toughest opponent. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, you, you know more and more about Briz now down the line after he played in the NHL, and I think he made more of those kind of comments than, than he didn't. Uh, you know, he, he <laughs> wanted to play when he wanted to play, and, you know, there was times where he didn't, and I'm sure he went back and ended up playing on some world championship team that he was more interested in playing on than, you know, going to the next round. So, but, yeah, those are the types of things, you know. I, you know, I look back to the year that we went – the year that I was captain and we went all the way, ended up losing. But same thing, first round, we went to seven against Iowa. Right. You know, and that was probably our, other than the finals, that was our toughest round because after that we went 4-4 four, four, and then obviously we're in the finals and we didn't make it through. But, um, you know, those, those building blocks are sometimes the important ones, you know, to make a great team. Do you ever think about all of the guys that you played with? I mean, we've mentioned a lot of the guys from the 0304 team, the defensemen, but then 0405, it's Suter and Hamus and yourself and guys. And in 0506, it's Kevin Klein and Sheldon Brookbank and Shea Weber. I mean, it's the, the that three-year run, and that's kind of where it graduated, I guess, yourself included, graduated to the NHL after that 0506 season. But it's it's really remarkable, the defensemen who played in that three-year stretch in Milwaukee. It really is. And, you know, you got to look back at how well Nashville, you know, was at drafting defensemen and making sure they played in the minors to get some seasoning before they actually went up and had a regular role. I mean, other than probably, well, Suits only played the one year and it was the lockout year and then he was up and then Webby, what did Webby play? He only played like 40 games. Half a year in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then he went up and then, you know, they were ended up being mainstays. And I think that just shows that you know, that David Poyle knows his stuff and knows who to draft and those guys need seasoning before they can make that jump. And especially with the way the NHL is going now, it's getting younger and younger, you know, all the time. But I think, I mean, looking back at my career, there's no way I would have played in the NHL if I didn't play the years that I did in the minors because it just builds you up for, you know, I wasn't, I got there and I played and I'm super, you know, proud and happy about that, but I wasn't, your prototypical skilled guy that knew I was going to the NHL, you know, I had to work for it. And I, those years in the minors, I think just shaped and molded, you know, who I ended up being when I played in the NHL. So Nashville just does a great job at finding those guys and making them play in the minors and developing them into to good pros. To me, part of that work is, is your focus is so incredible. My first year with the team was that 0506 season after Kyle had passed and yeah. I would come to the locker room roughly four four oh five you know right around four o'clock and it seems like you were there pretty much all the time is that <laughs> were you were you a three-hour guy i'm sorry i said it might even eclipse more than three hours i was usually at three o'clock i'd like to get to the rank anywhere between three and three thirty and then you know at, well i know five and oh six I had my first, I had my daughter that spring of 05. So I wanted out of the house already. Anyway, she was just a baby. I, there was no napping in my house. So like get the hell out of the house. But um, 
you know, I, that was just who I, even in college, I was always at the rink early. It gives you the time to get your stuff ready. You can relax. You can have a couple cups of coffee. You know, you get a good warm up. To me, it's all about repetition. And when you have a good game and you feel good and you're in a routine, it's because your routine gets you into that mindset to play well. Let's talk about, uh, go back to the 04 team. Uh, we, when we win it, it's pretty obviously what's going to happen. Uh, we, we took it to, to Wilkes-Barre pretty good. And you had a goal in that game, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, the last game? The last game. Did you have a goal that the game? Last, I did, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, as the clock's winding down, you're a rookie. What's going through your mind? Are you uh, thinking, how am I going to how like – are you gonna? Are you getting on top of the pile? Or are you waiting for? Uh, are you gonna be? You want to be the the bottom guy? What's uh? What was your strategy? Or what was going through your head? I'm claustrophobic, so I don't ever want to be the bottom guy. Probably <laughs> have, but uh, I mean that last game, God, I, I can't remember the exact. I think it was like seven three, seven, seven four, seven, seven two, I believe. Yeah, uh, and I think by. <laughs> We are, I remember we already had our hats on the bench and, you know, it was kind of, we knew it was over really before the game was even close to being over. And, you know, I think we were doing a lot of celebrating in between when we were off on our shifts and, uh, but it was definitely, I think, you know, being a rookie, winning it your first year, you, your dreams, I mean, obviously it's not the Stanley Cup, but it's the next closest thing. And it's the heart, it, it's, it's no easier to win than the Stanley Cup. So you think to yourself, holy to get it in my first year is amazing. I mean, I had won a couple, you know, tournaments and stuff like that as a kid being, you know, 14, 15 years old, but never th nothing on that scale. Um, and it's just, you, you just, the overcome of joy for the work that you put in to win something like that is amazing. And, um, you know, you, you win it, you think about it and then it sinks in and then you, you know, you got to think to yourself, when's going to be, when is my next opportunity going to be? And you just never know, you know, that next year, the lockout year, we had a great team as well. And we're out in the first round. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, never know when it's going to happen. I don't, I don't want to bring up bad, uh, you know, to turn this in, to give this a bad juju here or anything like that, but that's gotta be one of your worst losses. I would imagine that you ever experienced as a pro was that game seven against Cincinnati in 0405. Yeah, that wasn't uh <laughs> wasn't a good feeling. It was definitely a lot of letdown. And especially, like I said, with the guys that we had on that team, I mean, May, probably more talented than the year before. Definitely young, talented, young youth talent. Plus the mix of veterans we had, we were definitely, we would have given that team a run for the money, but I think the old four team that won, we had that veteran leadership, the, you know, the guys that knew how to get it done, especially having Flaxy and that and, um, you know, that next year, I mean, every team was good that year, just right. based off of having all the NHL guys. So, I mean, Cincinnati, they had Perry and Getzla, you know, I mean, they were a good team as well, but in the way that we lost that game, yeah, it was definitely heartbreaking for us, especially we were probably assuming we were going on to the next round and, you know, having, making another run for it. You know, interesting, you mentioned Perry gets left because the following year, since our Anaheim's affiliation moved out to Portland, and all those guys were playing in the East Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, and 
the winner between Portland and Hershey is who we face in the finals. It's, it's funny to think about what had happened, what would have happened if Portland wins that game and, and, and we're playing the pirates as opposed to uh, if Hershey won. And obviously we know what, uh, what happened there. And you can do that with every season, I suppose. Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, you could always be like, what if we played these guys and, you know, what it would, you know, would it have meant more? Would, would we wanted to get back at it? You know, there's all types of those kind of things you can go back and think about. But, uh, you know, I always look at it as things happen for a reason. And you need you for us to win in 04 being my first year and not experience. And then you lose in 05 and or I guess we won in 04 and then you lose in 05 and come back to that next year and make it to the finals and have that another heartbreak. I mean, sometimes you need heartbreak to to push to you drive you yeah just to push you to keep going and not wanting to lose when you get into those situations you look at you know the penguins when before they won with crosby you know they lost and those those losses hurt and they drive you to be better that oh that uh playoff run in 0506 we've asked this before we probably asked this of you when you've been on our radio show in the past but uh it always stuck with me when Sheldon Brookbank told us a few years ago that the Admirals win if they don't have two week layoffs between series after you had disposed of Houston in four and Grand Rapids in four and then waited, as Charlie mentioned, uh, for Hershey and, and Portland to finish up in game seven and, and then wait after that for a building availability in Hershey because of all high school graduations. Yeah. I, you know, I think come playoff time, two weeks is way too much to have off. You know, I mean, we would be, we would be winning those series and Claude would give us three, four days off and then we would get back to work because we knew there was so much time. Uh, I think definitely the little break between, well, cause what we, we played one and two and then we had two weeks off because of the circus or something, wasn't it? Before we went to Hershey. Yeah. I, I th- was it the circus or it was graduations? It was something. Whatever it was, but you can't play game one and game two and then have two weeks off and expect to, you know, and I, you can't use that as an excuse either. We were ready to play. And, I, and we won game so, three. Yeah. I just, th- you know, I think we came down. Uh, Pax was a rookie that year and was up and down and, you know, things just didn't go our way. And, you know, sometimes that's the way things happen. You got to have heartbreak to, to be better. And it just, it's too bad that we didn't have one more year altogether in the minors. And, you know, that was after that year, we kind of all went up and made that jump and all played in Nashville. And, um, but yeah, it was definitely consolation prize though. What's that? That's a decent consolation prize. But you know, being a captain my that year and, you know, you always want to raise that cup and be the captain, be able to pass it along to your teammates. And, um, you know, that Hershey team wasn't an easy team by any means either. I think most of those guys went on to play for the Capitals at some point. Right. If I can, you know, recall most of them. I mean, they were, they were a tough, they were a tough team to play and they played us well and you got to take your hats off sometimes and, you know, congratulate them as well. That one of the games, and and I guess we have really put it into lore, uh, is that game seven of that Iowa series. Uh, do you remember that anything from that game a- at all? The goaltender, anything like that? I, well, that I was gonna say, I that was Finner. We, we had the kid, I don't remember his name, but uh, the kid from the coast was up Jake, playing Jake, game Jake seven. Moreland, yeah, Jake, Jake yep. Moreland. 
you know, and other than that, uh, you know, I know our mindset in the locker room was we had known that Nashville lost to San Jose and we were going to get guys back if we could get through that series. And I think we all just, you know, put everything we had on the line to, to make sure we got out of that series so we could get our guys back and, you know, hopefully move on and win a cup. Um, other than that, I just remember just being a grind and kind of being shocked that that's who were we, who we were going with at the time, but it was obviously the right move. It's uh, you, you mentioned those guys coming back. We've seen it before where guys come back for the playoffs and they don't have any interest in being there and not because they're, you know, they, it's just a difficult transition to go from the NHL Stanley cup playoffs to the American league playoffs where the crowds aren't as big. Now everything isn't so much on the line. Um, but those guys came down, Weber, Upshaw, Rene, Tutu was there for game seven of the first round, but then he was back. Like those guys bought in from uh, immediately and the results, I mean, they, they show for themselves, right? Won 10 games in a row or nine games in a row uh, after they came back. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously them being young guys, especially Weber and Pax being in his first year. I mean, Oppie had been kind of, him and Toots have been up and down for a couple years already. Um, but I think it's just, you know, we had the right group of guys that knew we were there to win. It wasn't, we weren't there just to get through to one, you know, one more series. We wanted to go all the way and they came down and, you know, that's why getting through that first round, you know, I remember me and Brookie just being like, we got to find a way to get through this damn thing so we can get these guys back and we have a, ch a better chance than anybody. And, uh, you know, the guys that in that game seven that we, we all stuck in there, you know, battled together and we were able to get through it. And, you know, that's too bad we didn't have the Cinderella finish that we wanted. But, uh, you know, it was definitely fun at the time. Do you think you played 35 minutes that game? Uh, that game seven, like, I wouldn't be surprised if you did. I don't, I, I don't remember that per se, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if you uh, and Brookie, maybe Rick Barry are out there for basically every other shift. Well, I would have, yeah, me and, well, me and Kleiner. And Kleiner, yeah. yeah. And me and Kleiner were a pair. And I mean, I know definitely the year before to the lockout year, we played, we did, took most of every D zone faceoff. We were out there and, we had the job of get it out of our D zone change. Let's get the other guys out there. And uh, maybe our roles were a little different that next year, but we were probably definitely out there for, I would say 90% of the D zone draws if Claude could get us out there. And I mean, those are, those are the games where you go with who's going and, you know, it might not always be your top guys, but being able to be out there and battle through is, you know, how you get through those games. Yeah. Link, know, Steve, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, go ahead, finish up your thoughts. Oh, I was Charlie. just going to say, Steve Lindgren and uh, Nathan Lutz are probably the other uh, 2D out there. I don't remember who's, like you, you said, you played with Kleiner. I don't remember who was paired with who. Yeah. But those are probably the other guys who are out there. Yeah, Lindgren, Lindgren played in every game in that playoff except for the uh, game six against Hershey. Sure. Okay, yeah. I remember that because I gave him a ride home after the after the game. Actually, <laughs> I remember that. Uh, we we've done this as as Charlie said. We've done this all season long, Greg. But I don't think we've done a real good Kevin Klein appreciation segment. Uh, and I was curious if you could. I mean, th there's a guy too that went on to have a really wonderful NHL career, like yourself, and um, just just a solid player. He was, I mean, I think Kleiner kind of gets lost in that mix. He's, 
he's a part of that same draft year, I think, as Webby and Suter. Yeah, and Suter, he sure is, well, yeah. He went between them. It was Suter, Klein, Weber was the order. Yeah. And, you know, I think he just kind of gets lost in that, that draft year of, you know, and gaining the respect that he deserves. I mean, the kid could skate like no other. He was fast and he could move. Like, he wasn't afraid to fight anybody. I mean, I know a couple times he fought and – years that we played together and I was like dude what were you thinking and he's like wow what who cares you know I can get him <laughs> um you know there's all those types of situations but play I mean we always had me and him had such a good relationship we were roommates on the road and uh you know we did a lot of things we were roommates on the road too when we were in Nashville together and uh we got to really know each other and he I just don't think he ever got the full-on recognition that he probably deserved with um, how solid he was. I mean, he went on after yeah. the National, you know, he plays with the Rangers and, um, you know, career probably cut short due to some injuries, but, uh, you know, just a great guy, great teammate to play with. And, you know, one another one of those guys that would just do anything to win. Well, 506, also, obviously you're the captain. We make it to the finals, but you also – you know, it's not certainly not a footnote in your career. It's the first time you play in the NHL. Uh, talk about getting your first recall. How'd you find out? And then uh, who, who was the game against? And uh, any memories you have from that game? Actually, my, yeah, the, it would have been – the first game was against Minnesota, shockingly enough. Oh, but, is that uh, right? It actually – we were in Houston uh, two or three days beforehand – and I blocked a shot with my face and broke my cheekbone and remember having my eye all swell up and stuff like that. And uh, they were, we were going back home anyways. We got back to Milwaukee. I had a CT scan on my face and it was, it revealed just a broken cheekbone, which was good. I mean, it sucks, but it was good because we were worried about an orbital break, which then would have kept me out of the lineup. Well, they would have tried to keep me out of the lineup, but I would have played through anyways. Uh, and actually played my first NHL game in a full cage. Is that so, right? Interesting enough, I got pictures and stuff. My uh, Jen was able to come down. She snapped a bunch of pictures for my parents who weren't able to make it. But, yeah, I was uh, playing in a full cage. Uh, just remember getting the call in the morning and just being told, hey, get your from, crap from, together. From Claude. From Claude and get your crap together and uh, get your bag and you're off to the airport. And, you know, it's just kind of really a mad – be nice for them to fly you out the night before so you can have a little time to think it over. <laughs> it's really just a matter of throwing some stuff into a bag, grabbing a suit, getting your hockey bag and getting on a plane. And, you know, I think I arrived at, well, later than I normally like to show up to the rink. So right there, you know, I'm kind of frazzled because I like to get there. And But you get there, you get everything that you need. Toughest part is being, you know, wearing some different gear and stuff like that. And uh, But playing – it, you know, it was just amazing. I, I think uh, I think I had two penalties in my first two shifts, though, which isn't always a good knock. But Gabrick, <laughs> I know, one time. And uh, Derek Bugard tried to break my head off my shoulders, but uh, Cam Severson was there and saved me. Um, but just little things like that. I mean, it was, it was interesting enough. And, uh, and then I played the – I don't think it was the next night. I think it was a day later, and we played Philadelphia. And then had a run in with Brashear, which you know, oh, two of the, probably the toughest guys in the league you don't want to mess with. But like, and I had the whole cage. <laughs> but there's actually a funny story to that because obviously I ended up playing in Minnesota. When I got to Minnesota, the trainers were telling me that 
they told their coaches at the time and uh, was uh, – who was their coach at the time? Jacques. Jacques Martin. Jacques. Yeah, Jacques. And they Jacques were telling Jacques, Jacques out there in warm-ups, and I'm out there with my cage on in warm-ups. And the trainers from Nashville – or from Minnesota tell Jacques that I'm just like a – a college like a, sissy, huh? Well, it was like a dream, you know, one of those, you know, dream come true kind of things. And they're letting me skate for warm-ups. Because <laughs> and Jock believes them. And then come to the game. And I think I actually started that game or I was on the second shift or something. And he looks down the bench and he's like, what the hell is that guy doing out there? I thought he was a dream thing. And they're like, no, he's from Milwaukee. And they, they had him going that I wasn't even supposed to be there. But, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> finding that stuff out a couple years later is kind of hilarious. <laughs> it's like how uh, Kramer got on the uh, got up on stage with Mel Torme uh, in yeah, Seinfeld. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, obviously a great experience, you know, something that you don't forget <laughs> by any means. Uh, <laughs> that, that might be the best story this yes. is our 39th podcast. That might be <laughs> the best arable story that we have heard. Yes. That was real, that's really good. That yeah. is hilarious. If I remember right, that game in Houston, there was some blood, right? It was a ghastly situation. Uh, yeah, I took some stitches and my nose, it was more my nose. Everything came rushing out of my nose. And I mean, I wasn't trying to block it I was boxing out my guy in front and it was actually Murph shot the puck oh Kurt shot the yeah. puck from the point and I happened to just turn and it just caught me on my left cheekbone and I went down and tried to get to the bench and actually the linesman pinned me to the ice because he thought I was concussed but I ended up finishing that game and then like I doing the CT when we got back to Milwaukee I think we had a practice and then I was off to Nashville to play in my first NHL game. So I, the reason kind of, I remember the whirlwind. Yeah. Oh, I remember that because, and it, it may have been even a day game. Do you remember if it was or not? I think it was an afternoon game because we left yeah. that plane was actually, we were having uh, my daughter, uh, my oldest at that time, or still she's my oldest, but at that time she was just a baby and I remember getting a call from my wife after the game and she was having some bronchial problems and was in the hospital. So there was that emotion, the emotion of getting pelted in the face. And then we flew home that later that evening and we got back and it was the next morning I had a CT. Well, the reason, the reason I remember it very well is, is Claude came up to me after the game and wanted to censor what I had said because apparently I don't know if Jen had called you or had called Claude or had called Claude's wife, but there was panic the way I was describing what had happened. Oh, and, and, and from somewhere, cause Claude came up to me and he put his arm around me and he said, how did you describe it? And I said, well, I'd like to think I just described it. I didn't, you know, use inflammatory words or make anybody yeah. scared and all of this stuff. And he said, you need to remember that people's loved ones are listening. And, and he, like, he took me to task <laughs> on it. And, and it, but it was, it was your situation. So I, I'm, I, like, I was racking my brain. And to this day, 15 years later, I remember this because, uh, because I was just, I, I still think about, cause, well, because I'm a negative person and I always <laughs> remember. Well, I'm, I would assume that probably listening. She probably did call Claude's wife because they had such a good, she had such a good relationship with all the wives and, 
you know, being the coach's wife, she Linda always took care great. of all the girls. Linda was so great, wasn't she? And uh, so I'm sure Jen called her and was like, oh, have you heard anything? And probably got Claude's number from, from Linda and then probably called herself. But uh, I think it's great that, he, that Claude asked you, Aaron, well, how'd you call it? Because as I'm sure you heard before, Z, that, uh, you know, when Claude wasn't real thrilled with how a guy's playing, he'd, he'd say to you, well, how's your game? How's your game today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ranked game one to five. Well, yeah, well, one I, to five. <laughs> I, was a, I was a two, no half points. Okay, I was a three. No, you weren't. You were a one. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to watch the tape. Show me my shifts then. Come on. I wasn't that bad. But, yeah, no, Claude always, he, he always had a way. He wanted to argue with you, didn't he? Like, I, I didn't think he wanted. He wanted you to defend yourself and prove yourself and and justify your thinking. Hundred percent. He wanted to know, you know, if you were, why were you a three? Well, I was a three because, you know, or you know, any types of those things. And I think that's just him being a good coach and trying to get the best out of you and yeah. your own game. I think the being a coach now, the hardest thing I struggle with is trying to get the kids to to look at themselves in the mirror and really look at their game from top to bottom and how how they did. They're they're fine to come in and they think, well, I had a goal, so I was a four. Well, right. You weren't a four because you turned the puck over six times. Yeah, you scored. It might have been a good goal, but you turned the puck over six times in our zone. You know, you're not a four. And, <laughs> well. You know, Aaron's repeated this story, and I, I Ray Ferrero was like scored a hat trick, but he was a dash five or something like that. Yeah, like there's situations where you still got to look at your overall game, and I mean, I was my game was never, you know, if I scored, it was a bonus, but that didn't mean anything to my game. If I, you know, missed three or four blocks, or if I didn't make good outlet passes, you know, then my game, or if I'm not hitting anybody, then my game doesn't look very good, and that's. You know, Claude made you understand and when made you defend yourself to learn, you know, what is my game, you know, and that what makes my game a good game, what makes me a one versus a four. And, and he was able to get through to all the guys and, you know, just the way he is and his coaching style, which is, you know, he's always been great and always a guy that I credit for, you know, a lot of my, my success. Do you ever, with your players now, do you ever hold yourself up as an example, not necessarily of how to make it to the NHL, because obviously that's a long ways off, but to say to these kids, Hey, you all, we all want to score 30 goals a, a season. And we all, you know, want to toe drag around a guy and, and, and score top shelf, but you all can't do that. So this is a team and I had to reinvent myself and look where it got me. Is that an, ex do you use yourself as an example like that? Uh, you know, I reach back to stories and stuff like that. And I mean, a lot of the, obviously with the internet now guys know what type of player I was. And um, I just try, I try to be clear with them on what their role is. And I think, you know, not a lot of, not saying old like uh, pro coaches do this, but a lot of coaches in the younger ages don't give a kid a certain role. And I always explain to them roles change. So if your role today is to be a penalty kill third line forward, that's your role. Succeed at that role. Two games from now, I might be looking at you as a first line guy and I need you to score goals. Right. Like things are going to change all the time. You got to be prepared. There's injuries. There's this, there's that. I don't have the luxury of having, you know, 
multiple teams to draw from. You know, I get 32 guys and I have two teams, a junior varsity team and a varsity team and guys kind of move up and down and I try to get everybody in the games and, but drawing from some of my experiences, I do, it's not so much a highlight thing, but more of a, you know, if you're put in this situation, this is what I did. And, you know, it turned out in my favor, you know, maybe look at it that way type of thing. I think it's funny that you say, and I had never really thought of this, that there's all these highlights on YouTube. Do you ever, when a guy, a kid comes up to you with their phone, are you, are you like, Oh gosh, uh Oh, what, what, what's this one going to be? <laughs> No, they've all been pretty good. I, the most ones I get is like, coach, why is there no fighting, fighting clips of you? And I'm like, guys, I didn't have to fight. I, I played with enough tough guys that that wasn't my role. I knew what my job was. I'm like, you can go out there and find other stuff, but you're not going to find too many fighting, fighting clips. So. Do you, when you do, you talk about doing your job and, and blocking shots and everything. I'm curious was there a guy that not necessarily panic or fear, but there was a guy that you knew that you were risking something to get in front of a certain shot? Uh, I mean, well, definitely when I left Nashville and had to play against Nashville, obviously Webby was, and you know, it's one of those things where. Did you have to right, wear the, I'm sorry. To right did you have to wear the plastic? That was because of him, that right? That was because Every, of him. Yeah. The shot blockers. Well, I was actually one of me and Mike Weaver were one of the first in the NHL to wear shot blockers before they actually became a thing. And I started wearing them because I broke my foot in practice, uh, not trying to block a shot. Uh, Darcy Hortichuk slapped. I was standing next to the net and he buried one wide and busted my foot one year. Um, it was actually my first year and it was the year I came down for a two week conditioning stint and I only played a couple games, but, um, and you offered he, to sign autographs in the autograph corner. I remember that very well. Yeah. <laughs> and I was there on that conditioning stint with the broken foot, just recovering from a concussion. So, um, oh, I started wearing the shop blockers then. And I mean, it, it changes your thought process because you know, you're not going to get hurt, but still in the fact of going up against Webby right-handed defenseman. I know they're setting him up for a one-timer and I'm that right D there's going to be an opportunity where I'm going to get pelted and it's not going to feel good. And, you know, blocked a couple of his shots over time. I mean, you know, you think of the other great shooters like Stamkos and Ovechkin, they're all righties. They're on that side of the rink and having to be aware. I mean, you, you don't want to get hit by any of them, but by, you know, Later in my career, I had all my spots protected, knowing where I was going to most vulnerable, and I always had an extra pad there or two to, to make sure it wasn't going to keep me out of games uh, blocking those shots. Do you ever take maybe, I don't know if pride is the right word, but over the last few years, in an effort to increase scoring, they've talked about, okay, you defensemen, you can't slide to, to – uh, you have to stay on your, on your skates or only one knee down, and you're sort of – you know, you and a number and, uh, and certainly other guys, but you're, you were one of the first sort of famous shot blockers out there. So do you take a little pride in that, that they, they're, they're changing the rules because of me a little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I always, you hear about those rule changes and I just think it's, you're taking it away from the game. I mean, you know, right. they're drinking the goalies pads left and right and they're doing this. They talk about making the bigger net. I mean, that's one thing you can't really take out of the game. You can't take, a guy's desire to win and do whatever it takes to win out of the game. And I mean, when I first got 
into the NHL was actually me and Anton Volchenkov always had the, those shot block, shot blocking battles. And, uh, he, he was similar kind of shot blocker, one knee down. And, um, I just don't ever think they're going to be able to install that rule. If they do, it's going to, it's really going to change the game drastically. Before We mentioned this before you had Todd Richards as an assistant coach in Milwaukee. And then as a head coach in the NHL, were there any differences to what I, I, obviously you're in the NHL, so that's a difference. But besides that, were there any differences that you saw in Todd? I think, you know, obviously he was in a different role, not that he it changed him at all, but you know, you go from an assistant coach in the minors where, you know, to me, like when I look for an assistant coach on my team, I'm looking for somebody that's going to be, I know I'm going to be the hard guy and you're as an assistant, you're there to, you know, help the guys along and kind of be, you know, the shoulder to cry on is not a good description, but kind of that guy where you're the more compassionate guy that, you know, helps those guys through after they've taken a lashing. Well, you know, we, he goes to Minnesota and now he's the head guy and there's more things that he has to do. But uh, in my opinion, it never moose was moose. And it, the hardest thing for me was to, to call him coach Todd or Did coach you... Richards versus calling a moose because I played with him for three years, calling a moose. And right. It, you know, that was a, a tough – and he was fine with it when, the, you know, the time that it would come out, it'd be like, hey, Moose, like, what's going on? But, uh, you know, he was great. We actually lived in the same neighborhood, We had, not knowing that we did, but we both moved in the same neighborhood when we both made the jump to Minnesota. And uh, he was always great with me. He was great with all the guys. I mean, I, he was really kind of like a – like a Barry, like he knew a lot about everybody. He was very informative with his, what he wanted done. Uh, his time in Minnesota, I think was, you know, unfortunate. We didn't quite have the team needed to make that next step when he was here. And, you know, he was the one that kind of took the heat and was the one who got fired versus, you know, players being moved around. Curious, uh, being from being born in Burnaby, uh, did you know Joe Sackick before being hooked up with the avalanche near the end of your career? No, uh, didn't know. Uh, he played in a different association, but I think Joe's, he would have been too, I wouldn't even have run into him as far as playing and stuff like that. Right, right. He's older. He's older. There's no but, doubt. I mean, I'm curious no, if, if in town or anything. Yeah, no, he was, he was always gone. I mean, being, playing in Quebec, I mean, I would have been young and wouldn't yeah. have ever had a chance to run into him. I mean, I had more relationships with like Paul Korea and stuff like that. We were, we played in the same association. I actually played with his brothers. And um, so we got to know their family really well, but other than that, no, not Joe. Well, you finish your career in the avalanche organization and uh, finish it five years ago, which is just amazing to me that you've been, you haven't <laughs> played for five. Does it feel like it's been five years or does it seem like yesterday? Uh, yeah, I always have to kind of look back and do the counting in my head. I mean, it doesn't feel like yesterday, but at the same time, I wouldn't have, you know, when I get to five and I'm like, holy crap, it's already been five. It's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's hard to kind of believe sometimes. The, you, if you look at those, the, the San Antonio teams that you played on those two years, lots of admirals connections guys who played for the admirals uh you know bobby butler and connor brickley and rocco grimaldi uh and it just really goes to show you like how 
transient the AHL is as a league. It's not like the NHL where, you know, you might play, you could play for a team for 15 years and some guys do that never would happen obviously down here. So is it weird, you know, to, to, to go from organization to organization and suddenly, okay, boy, I played with these three guys, you know, or we have this in common or we played against so many of these guys as well. And now your teammates, that's got to, is that a weird thing for you to do? Uh, I don't think it's weird. I think it's more, you know, after my second year in San Antonio, I still obviously wanted to play and you start looking at teams and rosters and it's, it's kind of interesting to be to go through a roster and be like, well, I know that guy, that guy, that guy, you know, I'd fit in perfectly there. Right. You know, there's situations where it kind of makes it because there is so much moving in the minor leagues, unless you're a top guy that they know is going to play in the NHL, there's guaranteed you're going to play on two or three minor league teams, you know, in your career. And, you'll probably know at least four or five guys from every team. So it kind of makes it an easy transition to be moved around. Um, I mean, all those, I, Connor and, uh, and Rocco, I mean, I played with them actually before they had ended up with Nashville, before they played with Milwaukee. So, I mean, those were, you know, good young players and got to know them really well. And, you know, glad to see, I don't, Connor's over in Europe now, isn't he? He played in Europe last year. I thought he was with – well, he went to the Rangers initially, but I don't know where he finished up, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think I heard that he finished up in Europe, and then obviously Rocco's been doing well with doing Nashville. Doing great with Nashville, yeah. yeah no, uh, Con- Connor went and played in Salzburg in Austria. In Austria yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that was actually – his rookie year is when you played with him. Uh, yep. In San Antonio, excuse me. I know, that, that last year there, I mean, we had a team, too, that we thought we could – you know, go places and just didn't end up panning out. And, uh, but a real good group of guys that we had there. And, uh, you know, it was a fun last year because there was so many uh, veteran guys there, like Bobby Butler. I got to know really well in that year. And uh, Dan Ellis was there, a guy that I played college with and played in Nashville with. And Shane, uh, we, Shane O'Brien, who was on those Shane Cincinnati teams. Dan O'Brien, who me and him usually were butting heads most of the time when we were uh, not teammates, but he was a great teammate while he was there. And, uh, you know, those were – it was kind of interesting to go back to the minors after playing, you know, eight or nine years in the NHL and, you know, being kind of on the other end, you know, being on that end of like the Brad Tileys when I was a rookie. And, you know, I I was trying to be that good veteran presence that, you know, Tiles and Herc and, you know, Schultz were – for me, I was trying to be that guy. And, you know, in my mind, I think I did a pretty good job, but <laughs> I guess we'd have to talk to the guys on that team. Right. Did you ever consider going to Europe to play? Uh, not one bit. No, that, that point in my career, I mean, my, I had three Cup. kids, we still have three kids, but had the three kids, they were all pretty young. Uh, wouldn't want to make that move. I mean, I was really looking to play a couple more years in the American league, maybe hopefully getting a couple games in the NHL, but uh, you know, just didn't pan out a couple injuries down the line. You know, they, they're not looking for slow, slow old defenseman anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yours is an interesting career. You had said before that you didn't, you never really thought about being a coach and, and here you are as a high school coach, you have the experience at, at the collegiate level uh, being from Canada, which, uh, is you know you've got 
I'm sure you were recruited or, or talked about drafted in, into the junior ranks, or maybe you wanted to always play in the Western Hockey League and it didn't pan out, whatever the reason might be. So your experiences would lend me to believe, lead me to believe that you would be successful. As Charlie mentioned, you'd be one of the guys that comes to the forefront. As of now, and obviously you have a younger family, but as of now, do you have any any hopes of of maybe trying the college game or the pro game or anything like that? Uh, I mean, it'd be an interesting kind of path. I, I, I haven't gone to that point yet. My youngest son is nine right now. So I kind of like the fact, you know, the coaching call or coaching high school is great because I'm all, we don't really travel with there's, you know, we might have to make a, you know, a trip once a year, but we're back that same night you know, it's a two hour bus ride, two hour bus ride back. Uh, so there isn't any travel. So I don't really, I do miss some things, but I don't miss a lot. I get to all the kids stuff, you know, all their games, most of their practices. Uh, my oldest daughter actually plays a lot of adaptive sports at the high school and she plays adaptive floor hockey, adaptive soccer. And so I, I don't miss a lot of that. So that's kind of my focus is being able to coach and being able to still be at a lot of stuff is, is super important to me. Um, now if, you know, six, seven years down the road when two of them are out of the house and I got my youngest is almost ready to be out of the house, you know, maybe be interested, be an intriguing, you know, step that I'd be willing to take if the opportunities were there, but not looking at anything like that in any time in the near future. It's interesting because being where you are and being a defenseman for many years in the NHL and all of that, it's just you can't help but think about Phil Housley going from head coach at Stillwater High School to coaching the world junior team to becoming an assistant in the NHL to being a head coach of the Buffalo Sabres in a really short amount of time. And I'm not saying that's your path or anything, but the, but the similarities, at least to start, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, Phil, he did it, like you say, in a very short amount of time going from you know, where he was to where he ended up. And I, you know, me and Phil are a little bit, <laughs> Phil's a hall of famer. And, right. <laughs> you know, sure. But, you know, it, it'd be interesting, like I said, not any time in the short time, but it, it's not, it has crossed my mind that, you know, it'd be great to be a college coach. I think, I don't know so much of as a pro coach, especially coaching pro in the minors, you know, the bus trips and all that. I mean, they're great when you're a player, but, you know, when you're a coach, it's a little more, you know, renderous on your body. So the, that college job is definitely a job that, you know, is intriguing. Real quick, uh, when you change teams, and it, it had happened a few times, you a couple of years in, in, in Minnesota and then get traded to Boston and then Colorado. Did your family come with you or did you have to have a home base for your family and you would, you would be out alone? Uh, we we traveled everywhere together except for Boston was the only one that uh, they didn't come and that was obviously it was a, a deadline deal so I right. wasn't at a place and I wasn't going to move them out there and live in a hotel with me I mean hotel life is single life basically and you know you know kids aren't wanting to be running around the hotel so that that was the only move that we didn't make together every other place we moved uh, and that was kind of when my last year in San Antonio when it was kind of up in the air where we were going to be, that was going to be the year we were going to kind of do like a home base and leave everybody behind. And I was going to go and play um, just because it would have been, I mean, they were all in school at that point and right. moving kids around. My oldest daughter, uh, she has some 
schooling like needs that she has that everything was set up here in Minnesota when she first got into school. So things were just Minnesota was going to be home base. And then I was going to hopefully go off and play. I mean, I was looking at playing in Iowa, which would have been great. It's only a three, four hour drive and, you know, would have been able to see people and see family. But uh, I think like you hear a lot of guys say it was, it was harder to go to the gym every day and train and, make sure I was in the right shape to play. And that's when you kind of know, you know what, if it, the desire isn't there to do it anymore, you, you just, it's better off to go out on top. And it was, you know, happy to be able to be around the kids and, you know, take part in all their stuff that they got going on now. Anything else, Charlie? I think that's a great way to wrap. It is a good way to wrap. Uh, Greg, it's great to talk to you. As always, we thank you for your time. Um, best of luck. I hope everything gets... Well, for everybody's sake, I hope everything yeah. straightened out in the very near future with uh, with the way the world is going. Um, and uh, and uh, you're one of the greats. You're, you're, I, I, as a matter of fact, I think as I look back on it, I think you're the first player I ever interviewed for a, when I did broadcast because my first road game was in Omaha. And since you played in Omaha, oh, okay. I grabbed you at the hotel uh, before a game against the Exarban Knights on a, I think it was a Tuesday night that we played there. First time I ever flew Midwest Express too, by the way. <laughs> did you get it? Do they still give it cookies at that cookies. point? Had the cookies. Had yeah. The cookies. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. Good. Good. Uh, see, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks guys. And uh, yeah, let me know anytime you guys want me back. I'm, you know, I got time to, time to talk to you guys all the time. Awesome. Z, thanks so much for your time. All right. Thanks guys. Former Admirals captain, thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast. You seem to have it all. You seem to have control. But deep within your soul, you're losing it. You never took the time. Assume that you're to blame.